Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Clarity Christian College, formerly known as Florida Bible College. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I read recently out of a U.S. News and World Report that America is just almost obsessed with knowing what the future has to hold, that we're really forward-looking people. If you go back to the founding of our country, we were very forward-looking when we left Europe to come here, and then we swept all the way from sea to shining sea, looking forward to what would happen next. All the inventions that we've had, whether it's in the technical world or whether it's in the industrial world or the field of medicine or education, whatever it might be, we're forward-looking people. But sometimes that goes way too far. We want to know so much about the future because we're so insecure with the present or we're not happy or content with where we are that we want better and more. And so we search out ways to do that, whether it's doing such things as going to palm readers or tea leaves or expressing ourselves through finding out what's going to happen next. And I don't know where you are on this, but I want you to know that there can be a danger in it. And so James speaks to that very issue. And today we're going to learn about what's the Christian worldview on what the future holds. Now what we're going to learn quickly is that making plans for the future is not really all that wrong. Those of you that make a to-do list, you've got some plans, that's really good to do. But he also talks about the mistakes that we could make while we're making our plans. So he warns about those mistakes because making mistakes aren't necessarily wrong in doing that. And he does it by bringing out an illustration that it could be between two businessmen in the early New Testament years, maybe someone that had an MBA from Jerusalem University speaking to another businessman who is a a Tel Aviv 500 company, and they're talking about some business plans that they're making. If you look at the verse, it says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city. We'll spend a year there, we'll buy and sell and make a profit. Now, what do they talk about? What a lot of business people do. Those of you who are in business or those of you that make plans, you talk about when you're going to do it, today or tomorrow. Where are you going to go, to this place or that place? What are you going to do when you're there? Maybe buy and sell. What are you going to do? Hopefully, make some money. Now, is God speaking against that? I want to make this very clear that God doesn't speak against making plans or having a business plan or to maybe put a to-do list that will have time, what to when and who and why, putting it all together. But the first mistake in this passage that we can make about which James warns us is the mistake of making a plan without God. And I think that that sometimes can happen to every single one of us. We make plans, but we kind of throw God in it when our plans go awry or there's a wrench thrown into it. And all of a sudden, we're in a crisis with our plans, and then we kind of pray in the big guns, we might say. And that's a danger that we would have, and we need to be very careful. Yet at the same time, let me say again, that the Bible does talk about making plans. If you read in the New Testament, it tells us that before we build a building, we count the cost. Before we go to battle, we count the cost. In the Old Testament, we go to the book of Proverbs, which is the companion book to James, and it talks about how the people need to make plans, and if we don't make plans, it calls us a fool. But again, in all of that, when we leave God out of it, we have a real problem. A Reader's Digest article written by Alexander Saul said this. It's an eye-opener. Let me read this to you. It says, quote, Since I have spent well-nigh 50 years working on the history of the Russian Revolution, In the process, I've collected hundreds of personal testimonies. I read hundreds of books, contributed eight volumes of my own, 
But if I were asked today to formulate as precisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million Russians, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat the phrase, here it is, men have forgotten God. What is more, if I were called upon to identify the principal trait of the entire 20th century, I would be unable to reflect anything more precise than this statement. Men have forgotten God. Sometimes I wish that I had more time, and perhaps we were a little bit more humble, where I could pass the microphone to you where you could give a public testimony. When that you made plans, and the plans weren't necessarily evil, but they were just plans, but without God. And because God wasn't in those plans, the power wasn't there, the motive was bad, and the results were disastrous. To really let you know from a real first-hand situation how that can happen. In a few moments, I'm going to talk to you about a story where someone didn't really seek God properly. And when he did hear about God, what God wanted, it became disastrous for an entire nation. So we need to be careful for that. So our life is filled up with daily decisions that we make. Now, I know some of you that are on your early part of your journey, you might be thinking, well, I thought we only take to God the big plans, but the little things, we should be able to make those decisions. Are we supposed to pray about everything? Well, technically, Scripture says that we're to be in an attitude of prayer, an attitude of communion with the Lord, an attitude of confidence, recognizing that God is in our life, hoping that while we're doing that, that we'll be especially sensitive to the Holy Spirit, who will be bringing back teaching that we've heard in church or Bible study or our own quiet time to remind us that we make decisions, that we make it from a biblical or a Christian worldview. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Now, sometimes I can understand an unsaved person who says, I don't believe in God. And he then makes all sorts of plans without God. He doesn't believe in God, and he doesn't invite God into his plans. To me, I believe that person has integrity. Now, Ohio's integrity is that what he believes, he lives. The saddest part is when we have Christians who say, I believe in God, that he is sovereign, and that he's communicated to us his will often through his word, and he promises to give me guidance through his spirit, but yet at the same time make all sorts of plans and leave God out. And there's where we have an integrity breakdown. And that's why God speaks to us today, that we're all going to be faced with decisions. Now, I don't know if you're facing a decision about should you marry someone or should you step out of a relationship? Should you change jobs or have your kids join up for some type of sports or music class? Or what kind of business or should you change your job or should you move, your house, or move from your house or even leave the island? Or should you join the military or sign up for a club or spend money on a car? Each one of us will be making some plans that might be big and might be small. And there's nothing wrong with making plans but to make absolute sure that our heart is clean, that we're sensing what does God want me to do and what is my motive behind the plan that I'm about to make. Now, I live in a world like you do. It is very fast and very busy. Maybe sometimes our world is so busy and part of that is to try to correct the problems that we've had with our past plans when we didn't have God in it. So now it almost appears that we don't have that much time for God. We're so busy. How can we go to God right now? We hardly have time to breathe. And I know that that might be a time for us to center down on God and to let the dust settle and to really seek Him first in our life. So what's the solution? Well, make the plans, but while we're doing it, we're really inviting God. We're including God in this. Now, I don't mean a pretense to God where we say, yes, God, you're in our plans, but I mean, we are really hearkening unto, is this really what God wants me to do? Look at verse 15. It says this. Instead, you ought to say, 
if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. It's interesting how when you see the word life, in the middle of the word life are the two letters if as well. And life is filled up with a lot of ifs because we don't always know what the future holds. And that's why it's so desperately important that we really do know the Lord and maybe begin to understand if it's the Lord's will. Now here's a probing question. Do you really want God's will in your life? I mean, do you really want His will no matter the cost? Now sometimes we do if it agrees with our will. But sometimes when He has a will for us through others who have a position of influence that might be able to change our will, and God is now in this, are we willing to accept His will? And remember, all of this has got to be built upon a biblical foundation of this. Is God sovereign and in control? Yes, He is. Does God love you unconditionally? Yes, He does, and He's proved it on Calvary if you just need one illustration. Does He promise to empower you and to be with you through whatever the plan that you have? Yes, He does. And does it really not matter what the result will be if you did it God's way because you know that when you get to heaven, all things will be made equal and fair there. And when you come to that realization, then who would not want to have God's will who loves you with all of His heart there with you at all times? So it ought to be doing it God's way and God's will. Well, there's a couple of responses to doing it according to God's will. Let me give you one. One response would be this. We'll make reference to it. Most Christians know enough to say that God willing or he has a will and his will has purpose and all of that. So we might make reference to it. The older we get, the more often we make reference to the will of God. So one, we make reference. Second, we can show deference to it. Show deference would be, all right, I want to know his will. He has a will and I really want to know his will. And we might take the time to pray about it, look in scripture, and wisely go to those spiritual advisors in our life who know the word and love us and know us to be able to give us at least their opinion or input on that situation. So we show what we call deference to it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we show preference for it. So we refer to it, we might defer to it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we will prefer it. Because sometimes once that will is made known to us, now we have to decide how authentic our Christianity and our surrender to the Lord really is. Will we be willing to do His will? No matter the cost, no matter how long you're going to have to go through that suffering, that sometimes His will might take you through a long, lonely road only to know that the lonely roads are the ones that you see the Lord most in it and can give you the most peace. And so again, it comes back to that. So, what's mistake number one? Planning without God. What's the solution? Including God in your goal setting. Let's go to mistake number two. There's only three that I extrapolated from this passage, and that would be presuming about tomorrow. Let me read to you verse 14 and verse 16, and here's what you read. It says, You do not know what will happen tomorrow. I think we all can agree with that. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. You know, there are a lot of times that we might want to know the will of God, and we even boast about that, that we want God's will. And we're so proud of it that we want to seek out God's will, but oftentimes it's that we're presuming on the future. This morning as I was up early and Carol was starting to get ready, we're starting our day, I was having my quiet time and I was in Jeremiah. I try to read through the Bible in a year and I try not to do it too fast, so I take just a few chapters and I really want to drill down deeply. I was in a passage of Jeremiah, oddly enough, on the very Sunday that I'd be speaking on this topic of making plans and presuming on the future. And I came across a real event that happened with Israel. Israel now is in a very, very bad situation. 
there was a group of leaders in Israel that went up to Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, we want to know God's will. We will do God's will, whatever it is, good or bad, tough or easy, we'll do it. Just tell us God's will. That tells me they knew about God's will. Concerned about the future. They were showing deference because they went to Jeremiah to hear it. And then Jeremiah said, all right, I'm going to tell you. I'll do only what God wants me to say. I'll say only what God wants me to say, and here's what it is. Do not go down into Egypt. Stay right here, even when Babylon wants to come and take you. Do not go down to Egypt. Those men got so upset that they took their wives, their children, they lambasted Jeremiah, and they scooped them all up, put down God's will, and did not show preference to God's will, and went down into Egypt. The rest of the story is found in Scripture. Read it for yourself. Jeremiah chapter 42 and all the chapters following it. And what happened when someone, presuming on the future, thinking that everything is going to be great, and yet not including God on, on, in on this, and at the same time having problems with the future. Well, what's so bad about the future? Well, I'd like to tell you why it's not good to presume upon the future. Here are two reasons. These are so simple that you could have come up with them yourself. So that's not rocket science. Number one, life is unpredictable. That's why even though we might make plans in the future, and we could even include God in this, we still realize that life is very unpredictable. Notice the phrase in verse 14. It says, you do not know. Would you circle that in your Bible? That's to remind you that as much as we do know, we might know about the Scripture, our future is still written by God in His mind, and He has not yet totally revealed it. Now, I do know that tomorrow I will get up early, about 4, get ready, come to the office here about 5, have some quiet time, get ready for whomever might come in during the morning time. I'm planning on that. But frankly, I can also tell you this, I don't know if my car will break down or if I'll have a heart attack or if the building will burn down or if I get called away to the hospital because one of you are in the hospital and I won't come in in the morning. I have no idea what tomorrow will be. So I have some plans, but I'm not going to presume to say that I will be here no matter what. You can count on it just like gravity. I can't say that because God willing in all of this. Let me ask you this question, see if it's happened to you. How many of you, assuming that your car was in good condition and it's now time to do your August inspection of your automobile, so you take it to the inspection station and when you get there, all of a sudden you find that your car doesn't have the right tires on it that are with the right thickness or something. You've got a problem with your brakes. Automatically your day changes. How about some of you assuming that everything is okay and you go in for your regular annual physical exam and your doctor now says your cholesterol is too high, your heart's skipping a beat or other problems that you had no way to understand. Your world changes. Now most of those we can probably redirect with a little bit of disappointment and some grumbling. All right, I got to get the car fixed. Okay, I got to take some more medicine and maybe eat better over here. But I'd like to tell you about my friend who he started a day very much like perhaps you start and I hope your day ends better than his. My friend is named Bill Butterworth. Bill Butterworth has written some, um, some musicals. One is called Make It Clear. The other one is called Heaven Help the Home as he wrote that musical with Howard Hendricks. Graduate of Dallas Seminary. Tremendous speaker. Tremendous writer. Chuck Swindoll asked him to join his staff at Insight for Living. And he's the one, if you look in your study booklets, about 10 years ago that wrote all the study booklets for Chuck Swindoll. My friend Bill wrote a book called The Peanut Butter Family because his name was Butterworth. We had a great time together. He was my student and then they put him on staff at the college that I was teaching. We had offices together so we often did things. Well, he was arriving home one day after work and he came in the house. The house was unusually quiet 
But at the same time, he was really grateful for that because he had five kids and a wife. And so he thought, boy, it'd be a little quiet now coming home. As he went into the kitchen to get something to drink, there up on the refrigerator was a note from his wife saying, I have left you. I have left the kids. You can have it all. I'm not coming back. And she ran off with someone who did the pool. His world exploded. Basically, for a while there, it went down in flames. I can tell you that through all of this, he has now written material for those that are single again and issues like this that he's gone through and the Lord is still using him. But I'm only saying this, that even for that person who did a lot on family, heaven help the home and other things, we cannot presume upon the future to think that it's going to be perfect tomorrow, that almost anything can happen. Now listen carefully. That should not cause you alarm. It should cause you awareness of our daily need our daily moment-by-moment need for the presence of God in our life? Are you sensing your need for Him? Are you allowing the world and the secular worldview, with all of its tinsel and surround sound possibly, to distract you, if not draw you? I hope not. Because since we can't presume upon the future, we need to be vitally connected to Him in intimacy today. So the future is really unpredictable, but also life is very brief. Look at it. It says, your life is a vapor. That word vapor in the Greek comes from a word that's atmos. And we get our word atmosphere from that. And that's why sometimes it's translated fog or wind or whatever. Here I like the word vapor. But if you wanted to go through scripture, and some of you might enjoy doing this, look from Old Testament to New Testament, the different analogies that the Lord makes, he's written in his word about life. One time he calls it vapor, another time he calls it a shadow, another time he calls it a leaf, grass, a puff of smoke, and even a cloud. Now look at those words again. Leaf, grass, shadow, cloud, puff of smoke, and vapor. What do they all have in common? They're like that, and they're gone. Especially when you compare that to all eternity. Our life is very, very brief, and we really don't know what's going to happen. I jokingly say that we as guys sometimes... We start out with Hot Wheels and we end with wheelchairs. And it's that little bit in between. We start out with diapers, we move into dignity, and then we end with decay. And so we don't know how long our life is going to last, so therefore it is very, very brief and it is very, very unpredictable. Look at Isaiah 56. This is a terrible commentary that sometimes we value. It goes like this. Come, one says, I'll bring wine and we'll fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be just like today and much more abundant. It's kind of like eat, drink, and be happy for tomorrow we may die. Let's have a party. Let's get drunk. I want to tell you right now that that's very, very dangerous because we don't know what's going to happen. Proverbs 27.1 says this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Now again, it is not wrong to make plans. In fact, it is wise to do that. But make sure you include God in on your, on your plans. And while you're making plans, don't make those plans as if you can actually make them happen. Because we can't presume so much about the future. Now, as I look at this, announcing a goal to someone. That you're going to go here, you're going to be that, or you're going to have this. Is a little dangerous. Now for some it might help you get a little motivated because you have a target to shoot at. And I'm going to tell you that setting goals is not necessarily wrong. We might set a goal that we would like to have this much money to do this kind of mission work. We might set a goal doing that. Goal setting is not necessarily wrong. Sometimes a goal setting could be a statement of faith. But at the same time, it also could be a statement of what I call arrogance. So if we're going to set a goal, let's make sure we've included God in on this. And at the same time, 
We're going to live one day at a time and know that if we don't reach that goal, that's okay too. Now, I'm not here going to announce any new goals. I just want to make sure that we're balanced as we do this to be very, very careful. One wag said this, and I really like it. It says, if you want to make God laugh, what do you do? Tell him your plans. That's all you got to do. And I think there's a little bit of truth in that. You want to make God laugh? You know, just make some plans and leave him out. And sometimes he just has a way to get us. So here it is again. I'm going to be real simple. Make plans, but evaluate your motives when you do it. So, let's talk now a little bit more about doing this one day at a time. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Spencer Johnson wrote a book called The One-Minute Manager, but he also wrote another book that isn't quite as known as The One-Minute Manager, and I encourage you to get that book. It'll kind of help you focus your life down a little bit faster and to think more quickly in a one-minute manager. But he wrote a book that's called The Perfect Presence, and the theme of the book is The Perfect Presence, that right now, for just a moment, we ought to be content with what we have. Now, you might be looking at your present situation, and it's a result of poor planning and leaving God out, and you're saying, how can I say this is perfect? Now, here's how you do it. What you do right now is you use this as a teachable moment to say, I made a mistake. This is a learning experience. This is what it costs when I make a plan without God in it, when I'm presumptuous without living one day at a time and God decided to rewrite my calendar and I'm living with this. So grieve this and leave it and move on. So don't carry the guilt with you, but handle it properly. So make it be the perfect present in your life. So again, what's the solution? Live one day at a time. Make your plans, but concentrate on the perfect presence to make full proof of this because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Here's the third mistake, and that is putting off doing good, and that's found in the passage. Verse 17 says this, the mistake is putting off doing good. He says, therefore, with all that information he just gave us about looking at the future, he says, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, I'm going to say a word right here that some of you are going to cringe with because you might struggle with this. Now, every one of us have struggles in our life with some weaknesses that may converge on sin. But I think James could be speaking here a little bit about procrastination. Now, do you know someone who's a procrastinator? Tomorrow, I'll clean off my lanai. Tomorrow, I'll get my uh, carport cleaned out. Tomorrow, I'll clean my desk, you know? So we do this procrastination. I've heard someone say, I'm aiming to do something. And my response is, pull the trigger. Most of you know that I have weaknesses in my life. Those of you that are close, you know, sometimes I could be a little more dominant. I try to smile when I speak. I try to be generous and kind and gracious. I try not to be too, you know, moving people forward. But one area that I don't have trouble with is procrastination. But you know what I have problems with? Those who procrastinate. And so I have to learn to just calm down. You know, there's going to be people that just do things at their speed poem goes like this procrastination is my sin it only caused me sorrow i know i ought to change my ways in fact i'll start tomorrow <laughs> so maybe that's you a little bit now there are basically two types of sin in the bible and although we'll not use these words i do think that we could get them easily out of scripture one is what we're going to call is the sin of commission that's when you tell a lie that's when you choose to take something that doesn't belong to you that's when you look upon someone and you lust after them. Those would be sins that you are committing. The second sin is, I think, a little bit more implied here. This would be what we might call the sin of omission. It's knowing to do good and then not doing it. And so that also feeds into facing the future. 
And sometimes as we look to the future, we put off so much stuff to the future that we should really be doing today and be taking care of this right now. So it's the subtle trap of someday I'll, one of these days I'll do this. Like saying, well, before I die, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. That sounds pretty reasonable. I'm glad to hear that, that you'll trust Christ if you haven't done it already before you die. I want to commend you on that, that you will trust Christ before you die. But fitting into the same context is presuming on the future. That's presuming that you know exactly when you're going to die and you'll be given enough time to make that decision before you do die. Did you hear what I just said? All right. So you have to be very careful with putting things off for the later, which we should be doing today. So what's the solution? It's very simple. The solution is simply just do it now. Don't put off tomorrow the things that you can do today. Obviously, don't do today the stuff that should be put off till tomorrow. Look, if you will, in Proverbs 3, verse 27 and 28. This one is even more convicting to me. It says, Do not we withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor, here's the word, now. Don't say, come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Do it right now. Don't wait until tomorrow. This is Joe Pons, and I want to thank you for listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Clarity Christian College. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It's the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. That's makeitclear.org. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please email us at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. That's tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.